Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we're going to enter into a new series for the next three weeks, and it's um, something I'm a little bit excited about. It's called In the Beginning. And basically, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis and finding key principles from the book of Genesis that are applicable today. It's important to know that within uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and it literally starts in the beginning. That's how the Bible starts. Isn't it beautiful? I find it beautiful. It's very good writing. Um, And so we're going to be having a look into different godly principles that are still relevant for us today, timeless principles that we can find through the Old Testament. Now, in Genesis, the book of Genesis covers a couple of things. It covers the creation story. It covers Adam and Eve. It talks about Adam and Eve. It talks about uh, the fall of mankind um, in the Garden of Eden where uh, the devil comes and tempts Adam and Eve, and and mankind falls within uh, their own will. And so we then start, that's the start of the Bible, is God created something beautiful and perfect, and then we see the fall of mankind. However, straight away, we see after the fall of mankind, God starts writing towards a redemption story. We find it in the first book of the Bible. Through the st- We find the story of Noah, where the great flood came, where the rainbow was first uh, talked about, where the rainbow was first introduced, this promise of God. We, talk, uh, we read about Abram and the promise that God gave to Abram, which was all pointing towards Jesus. And we read about Abram's family, about Jacob and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Joseph. And, and we're going to get into what Genesis looks like. It's really important when we read the Old Testament to understand that it all points to something. So when, when we're reading through these scriptures, when we're reading through these historical prophetic books, that it's all pointing towards something. And that is the story of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, we fall straight away. Yet in the beginning, God helps pick up those pieces straight away. See, where we instantly, mankind, fell from grace and fell from what God had created, how God had created us to live our life, within a second, God had made a plan. God knew because he's for us and he didn't want humankind, his creation, to keep falling further and further. He had a plan for us. We see... um, we see in the matter of two chapters how God quickly rewrites our story. Um, everything from the beginning, everything points to Jesus. It all leads up to this point. And so we're going to be having a look um, at Genesis today, and we're going to specifically having a look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Um, it's important to understand that when reading the Old Testament, um, it's actually not... It's not the divide of law and grace, but it's the convergence of them in Christ that makes this book come alive. Um, So a lot of people get confused when reading the Old Testament. I want to assure you that it is the convergence of law and grace coming alive under Christ that we find the truth come alive in the Word of God. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to turn to your timeless Word that in it there are principles that we can learn from, that we can be guided by in our everyday life. And God, I just pray that hearts would be open to hear what it is you want to say this morning, Father God. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start from Genesis 1. If you've got your Bibles, who's got their Bibles? Wow. 
Who's got their Bibles? Okay. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very sacred thing that a lot of people don't have access to. We should be proud of it. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. We're going to do a bit of reading. Are you ready? All right. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created, did you hear that? Everything that creeps, so like snakes and stuff. You don't need to be scared. It's fine. Australia is safe. (laughs) So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. See, the first thing that God did after he created mankind was give mankind a mandate, was to give mankind a calling, a purpose within their creation, to have dominion over the earth, to care for the earth for a purpose, to be fruitful and multiply. Being fruitful means that It's continually sowing, continually planting. To multiply means that there's health. So God intended for this mandate to be a mandate of health for the earth that he had just created. Now, a mandate is like an authority to act. It means authority to act. We see this term used a lot within... um, with lawyers and clients where, say, a client gives their lawyer an authority to act on their behalf, they speak for them. They have the authority to say, this is what my client says and this is what my client stands by. In the same way, should someone have a family member that may be hindered and may not be able to act on their own behalf, they are able to give authority to act to a family member so that they can speak on their behalf. It's a very trusting thing to do to give authority to act on your behalf to somebody else. And straight away we see that this is what God has given to mankind. He's saying, I've just spent the days creating this beautiful earth and I'm giving this earth to you. This is your mandate. You have authority to act. Go for it. And I think sometimes we do a good job and sometimes we probably don't. As mankind, I'm not saying you individually do a terrible job. As mankind, we sometimes get it right and we sometimes get it wrong. But God gave us the authority to act on his behalf to make this earth fruitful and multiply. If you read on chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The second thing that God does after the creation is rests. Now, he must have been pretty tired, like building like the heavens and the earth would be pretty tiring for God. Like, it's pretty an exhausting thing. I mean, you try to do it in six days. 
But actually, Isaiah 40, 28 says this, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God didn't rest because he was pooped out. God didn't rest because he was exhausted from all this incredible work that he had done. Why did God rest? See, we see on day six, God creates mankind and gives mankind a mandate. The next thing he does is show mankind the principle of rest. Not because God needed it, because God knew that for us to take up this mandate, we needed to understand the concept and the principle of rest. It had to be something that was undergirding our mandate. This principle of rest is something that we must apply in our everyday life now because for the mandate to be done, for the authority to act in whatever area of influence that you are in, you need to understand this godly, blessed principle of rest. Our mandate to have authority under God on this earth requires us to learn this. But what does that mean today? Today's a very busy world. Like every, whenever you catch up with someone, oh, hey, how are you going? Yeah, work's real busy. Like, like that seems to be the commonality within our language as a society is that we are a very busy society. We are overworked and underpaid. How many times have you heard that? I am overworked and underpaid. I get paid in Cheerios from my children, so... And they're usually soggy because they're the ones that they won't eat in the cereal bowl, so, you know. But it's this thing. It's like, I am overworked and underpaid. Why is it that we're overworked and underpaid in this society? You know, jobs are more insecure. If you don't produce enough fruit depending on what your organisation expects, well, you can just be laid off. Well, you can just lose a job. And if you lose a job, then you don't have finances, and then you can't live on the beautiful North Shore. And everyone knows that living on the beautiful North Shore is really hard to live on, so you've got to have a job, which means you have to work really hard. You have to keep up this work ethic. Well, also, society has changed where value for um, people earlier on, the value that they found was in their family, was the part and the role that they played within their family. Not so much anymore. It's the value and the role that they find within their workplace. Families are smaller. We see that in, in today's society is that actually people are putting more value within their work ethic because there is this inner thing within us that we must prove our worth. We must work for our worth. We must show everyone that we have worth and that is by the principle of work. People who make bigger dollars are expected to work more. Well, how are you supposed to keep up? How are you supposed to be successful? Because some people are willing to lay their lives down for their work. We are in more need of rest, yet we don't understand this principle of rest. It's not the amount of time that you rest. It's the depth of rest that people are hungry for because people are filling their lives up with, with holidays, with trips to Whistler to, oh, that would be so nice, trips to Whistler, trips to Hawaii. Like, it's like they're getting a fix for the physical, but they're realizing it's not satisfying the soul. And so it's like, well, I've got to save up more money so I can get that piece of holiday back, so I can go sit on that beautiful beach in Australia and take in the waves. So they're constantly working hard to find rest. And it's actually not in the absence of work that we find rest, okay? So we need more rest. Physical rest is important. But the creation story actually reminds us that there is more to us than our work. 
Yes, God gave us a mandate. He created us and he gave us a purpose. He gave us something that we go, why am I here? We have an understanding. We have that understanding. But the next thing he did was example to us that for that to actually come into completion, the sixth and the seventh day to come into completion, we needed to understand this principle of rest, this principle of what is called the Sabbath. There's, um, everyone knows of REM sleep, rapid eye movement. So they talk about you need to have rapid eye movement in your sleep, which means it's the depths of sleep. It's not, it's not just like a one-hour nap. It's like a really deep sleep. And so they say, you know, eight hours is a good amount of time to get into that deep sleep. Why are parents of newborn babies always tired? Rachel, Dan, this is why. Because they're getting like one or two or three-hour cycles of rest and they're not accessing that deep sleep. So when you talk to a new parent, which you will when Dan and Rachel pop this baby... So excited. You will see how tired they are. But you, you will see how tired they are. And it might be just for initial phase. It won't last forever. It'll be initial phase where they're not getting the depths of sleep. And it's the same principle is that we're not, under, we're not getting this depth of rest, this soul rest. We're satisfying the physical rest. We're doing recreational things. We're, we're watching Netflix or hiking with bears or whatever it is. We're getting some type of rest, but it's not feeding our soul. And why is that? See, our lack of rest can actually be linked to our lack of identity. So many people feel a lack of identity, so they prove their identity by their works. And there's this question that people struggle with answering, and it's this, who are you without your work? Who are you without your work? A lot of people in this world don't know how to answer that. And because they don't want to face the fact that they don't know how to answer that, they don't rest. They don't find deep soul rest. They keep working to show you who they are. I'm successful in my job. I'm, I'm successful over here. I'm a fantastic mother. I bake Pinterest cookies all the time. Like, like they work to show you who they are. But the creation stories reflects to us that it's actually not all about your work. Your value isn't just in your work, isn't just in your mandate. It's in the understanding of this godly, blessed, holy principle of rest. Sabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. And it literally means to rest, stop, or cease from work. Exodus 20 says this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, I don't even know what that is, who is like the, within your gates, is that like the gatekeeper? No, anyways, I'll Google that later. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Then the Lord blessed the, seventh day, the Sabbath day and made it holy. What did the introduction of the Sabbath mean for, like before Christ? Well, it meant that people actually paused everything that they toiled for, took time to spend time with their family. Can you imagine like, talking to a workaholic and asking their spouse how they would feel if they had their spouse for like just one day a week? They would be overjoyed. There are people that are not getting this quality of time. The Sabbath is important. Taking rest is important. 
The Sabbath actually gave animals dignity. You know, it was the first national law on behalf of animals. You like that, Colin? Come on. God started that. <laughs> no other animal lovers in here. Sorry, Cole. <laughs> but it is. God commanded that you, your livestock, your animals must have rest. It gave animals dignity because God understood that for you to have authority to act over this earth, you needed to understand giving dignity. Even slaves, Jewish slaves, people that worked for the masters, um, they were given a day of rest. It, it elevated the human being. The Sabbath actually reminded the Israelites of the time when they were under Egyptian rule, where they were slaves to the Egyptians, and they were slaves working day one to day seven. They didn't have a Sabbath. They didn't, they didn't take advantage of a Sabbath because they were under Egyptian rule. And it reminds them of freedom, that they have the freedom to pause and stop. Do you know you have the freedom to cease your work? You have that freedom to cease your work? Now, if you've found yourself in a position where you feel like a slave to your work, then maybe you need to realign some things. But you have freedom. The Sabbath spoke to freedom. Rest speaks to freedom. I have a choice to actually stop and pause. In Leviticus 23, we read about the different feasts that the Israelites would celebrate, different feasts that they would take at different times of the year. And you'd have the feast of the Passover, of the first fruits, uh, the feast of weeks, of trumpets, of the Day of Atonement and of booths. And, and the Sabbath was one of those feasts. It was a weekly thing. They were very intentional about gathering together to take time to pause Leviticus 23, 1 to 3 says this, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, a holy gathering. You shall, not do no, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Sabbath was a time to stop your work, gather together in a holy gathering, and break bread together, much like what we do now. It was ceasing every work. They had to pre-prepare the feast the day before because they weren't allowed to labor over the feast. It was this coming together to pause and spend time with each other and with God. The Sabbath was very intentional. It took an enormous amount of discipline. And so for that to actually happen in the Old Covenant is that there was an enormous amount of rules regarding the Sabbath what you couldn't do, how you should, like, you couldn't actually heal people unless it was a life or death situation. So say little Johnny's playing out in the tent and breaks his arm. Sorry, Johnny, you're going to have to wait for tomorrow because we can't heal you. So there was a lot of restrictions to the Sabbath because they understood how intentional it was and how hard it was to be disciplined within it. And so there was a lot of rules. There were a lot of laws relating to what rest looked like. And we all have our different principles that we apply to rest, things that you won't do and things that you will do. Some of those things might actually be erring on the side of non-rest, and we need to realign ourselves to that. And so the Sabbath was a very intentional time, and it was very serious to the Jewish authorities as well. There was a lot of laws. In the New Covenant Sabbath, however, we see in all four Gospels, Jesus, as he does, has a disagreement with the Jewish authorities. And you can find all these scriptures in all four Gospels. We're going, to be, we're going to read at Luke 6. Luke 6. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, 
rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of them but the priests to eat. And, they also, and he also gave it to those with him. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? There's no middle ground there. And after looking around at them all, he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. It was taken very seriously by the Jewish authorities. You've got to understand this is a principle that they have been upholding for years, for generations, one that was commanded to them to uphold. When, when Jesus brings up David and the Jewish uh, leaders, he's reminding them of David's actions that they were technically a breach of the law, for only priests should eat this bread. But what Jesus is actually saying is that the need of David and his people overrode the legal nicety, and no one blamed him. The need outweighed the legality. Human need must never be subjected to barren legalism. Why? Because God's heart is for humanity, not for legalism. See, Jesus is coming into this discussion with the Jewish authorities, and he's actually not saying, get rid of the Sabbath, it's useless. No, because he understands the timeless principle there of rest and that your works must be partnered, undergirded by this principle of rest. What he's actually trying to say is what is important about the Sabbath. They didn't realize it. When he said, I am the son of, when I, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, they didn't realize that all of their ceremony, all of the ceremonial acts of the Sabbath were there until something that was greater than the ceremony could take its place. And what they had encountered was that greater. It was Jesus. And so Jesus is actually not saying to us, get rid of a day of rest. He's, he's bringing out the importance of that day of rest and what it means through the lens of him. Human need must never be subjected to barren legalism. God is for humanity. Gilbert K. Chesterton, Chesterton, Chesterton says, whenever you remove any fence, always pause long enough to ask why it was put there in the first place. See, Jesus wasn't removing the Sabbath. He was just letting them know that they've missed the point now that he's arrived. Now that Jesus is walking this earth, Sabbath, rest, cease of work looks different. The Jewish leaders had missed the point. They, if they had understood, they would understand that what Christ did in healing the man with the withered hand wasn't just permitted, but it was necessary. It's necessary ceremonial is provisional. We see that in the story with David. It was provisional. It met a human need. 
because ceremony isn't, God didn't make ceremony on day six. He created mankind. We put ceremony and tradition sometimes above mankind need. And, I, and hear me, I'm not saying we get rid of it. It's actually a resource to us. It's a blessing. God said and he blessed the seventh day. He blessed it for us. Ceremony is provisional. It's temporary until something else that can cover the ceremonial comes and Jesus had come. Verse 5, it says, and he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is all about that Sabbath life. You'd find him reclining with his disciples. You'd You'd find him resting. Rest is a godly principle. It's important. It's something that is crucial for your completion of your week. It's, I'm adamant about that. You must learn how to rest. How do we learn to rest through the lens of Christ? Do we go to ceremonial rest? How do, how do we actually apply rest in our lives now? Because there's so many different ways the world works. And now that Jesus has come, what does that look like? Mark 2, 27, we hear Jesus say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, man was never meant to be confined or restricted by the Sabbath, but it was a gift to serve man. Is your rest serving the mandate that God gave you? Is your rest something that you can feel deep soul rejuvenation that then empowers you in your mandate that God has called you to? He's saying it's not to be founded on law anymore but rather to be fueled by the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's trying to remove the religious rule where we see in the story of the man with the withered hand where there was restriction. There was, sorry, you can't come. Sorry, it's the seventh day, you can't come to me. Jesus is saying, at any point, anyone can come to me. Whether it's sixth day, seventh day, third day, (laughs) it's a band reference. Whatever day it is, you can come. See, Jesus is trying to remove the barrier, the wall between his people and himself. He's trying to say, it's not through ceremony that you will find deep rest anymore. I have come. I am above that ceremony. I am the Lord of the rest. So when Jesus heals that man with the withered hand, what he's actually declaring is, at any point, anyone should be able to come to me and find rest and find restoration and find healing and find encouragement. There should not be a cap limiting me to people. Why? Because God is for mankind. God created the Sabbath for mankind. God created rest for us. It's why important that our works are not just work, that they are partnered with the purpose that comes from being under the Lord of rest. When we're just working under God and just working and striving and and never actually taking time to pause and rest, we don't get that deep soul rest that we so need. Yes, you can fill it with holidays, and I encourage people to do holidays. I will be taking holidays. I encourage you to do those things. But Jesus isn't saying it's in the legality of how you logistically plan rest that makes the difference anymore. It's that I'm the Lord of the rest. So what does it actually mean today? 
The practice of rest is absolutely necessary. Don't let it be defined by legalism or law. Let it be defined by Christ. Laws were always upheld in anticipation for something greater, and that's grace. Laws were always upheld in anticipation for something greater, grace. And the Jewish leaders didn't realize that grace was standing right in front of them, rewriting the story so that no one had limits when it comes to accessing that grace. I'm going to ask the band to come up. If he is Lord of the Sabbath, then we must understand it's under his authority and life that we approach rest, not letting it be void of him, but letting him reign over our rest. The thing that defines you as a Christian is that you don't rest on your works. You rest on his work. The thing that defines you in all that you do isn't your work. So that big identity crisis question that so many people are wondering, who am I without my work? That's not the thing that defines you when you're someone that believes in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Actually, what defines you is the completion of his work. When Jesus died on the cross and said it was finished, he was bringing the work to completion. Just as God had created the seventh day and rested and blessed it and made it holy, by Christ finishing his work on the cross, he is saying, I am completing this work. I am making you holy again. In Hebrews 10, 10, it says, And by that will we have all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God made the seventh day holy. Christ makes us holy. Just at the beginning, in the completion of creation, are we found as a new creation in his finished work on the cross. So that striving and the question of who am I without my work? How do I fill that? Which holiday should I do next? Because then that identifies me as a traveler. All these things that we start trying to explain ourselves. Who am I? If you just pause and rest. If you pause and rest. Thank you, Stephen. Who are you without your work? It comes full circle through the work of Christ. The day of Sabbath, the day of rest, is not something that Jesus got rid of. In fact, he encourages it in a life-giving way. He encourages it through the lens of his finished work, of the work that happens on the cross. And so you can take pause and take time and you can work out what Sabbath and what rest looks like for you today and how you approach that. Do you know why you can do that? Because you have the freedom to. Because Jesus gave you that freedom to approach your day of rest how you wanted to. So my day of rest might look a little bit different to Joel's. I mean, I'm not going to go and count a bear's. For some people, that's rest. But he has the freedom to have that rest because it's through Christ now that we find our rest. Not saying you must rest this way or you must rest that way or it has to look like this. It has to look what feeds your deep rest. It's Christ. He says, I'm the Lord over your rest. So who is it that you are now that you sit under his rest? Well, I am who he says I am. I am holy. I am set apart. I am chosen. I am encouraged by his word. I am loved by his character. 
I'm whole, I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm forgiven. When you understand this principle of rest and finding rest under Christ, you start to understand a little bit more about who you are. Do you know why? Because you then start listening to the Creator. See, in Leviticus, when we read about these feasts where they would come together and they'd spend time together, breaking bread together, spending time in God's presence together, they started actually doing something that sometimes we forget to do, have conversation with God. God, who, who am I? Who have you created me to be? Okay, this is what I'm doing. This is my mandate. This is what I feel called to do. How do I do that? Rest. Stop. Stop doing and just be with me. We see this example in the Gospels with, with Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to visit Mary and Martha and Martha is toiling away and working when she doesn't realize the Lord of rest has come that she might find rest. Not to remove her works, but to empower it. See, so many people go on either side of the spectrum. Well, I've got to work incredibly hard or I'll just not work at all and I'll just chill for all my days. Neither of those is a great option because it's not undergirded with this principle of rest that Christ reminds us of, that God created, that God blessed to make it holy for us. Not for ceremony, not for tradition, not for the sake of a good read in Genesis. For us to rest. And I get some of you might be going, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that. My life's so busy and I've got this priority and this priority and this priority. And like, well, guess what? You're just going to keep working yourself to the ground. This is why they had so many rules and laws to the Sabbath day because it's such an intentional, disciplined thing to do. Now, when Jesus comes and removes all of the lawmaking when it's connected to the Sabbath and says, it's me that makes this day of rest. It's me, I'm Lord over it. That's a lot more intentional. That requires some real discipline from our heart because it's now not ceremony. It's the Son of God. So where ceremonies was something that held a lot of weight to give you rest, now the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is that one. And it requires more intentionality. Yes, there's always grace for the days where you strive and you strive and you strive and you work hard. And God rewards that with His rest. With His rest. We're actually going to enter into a time of worship this morning where I just want you to take time where you cease what you're doing, where you stop and you find rest in Christ. God's work has come to completion so that in Christ you may rest now. You may find that Sabbath day free, but clothed in grace. We're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to find rest in this moment. And I just want to encourage you as you stand. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to strive to belong to Christ. You don't have to prove your works for him to find you of value. It's not in what you do that shows his love or his sacrifice for you. It is when he said it is finished. It is finished. And today I want you to rest in that. I really believe that this morning needs to be a time where people just pause and rest in him and maybe find a little bit sense a little bit of identity within that rest. Your works will never be good enough. The world will always demand more. Where you might satisfy one person with your works, guess what? Someone else has a different expectation. But all God's expectation is, would you come? Just as you are, come to me and find your rest. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're feeling like you don't have that deep soul rest, why don't you take this moment now, just in this quietness and this still, to seek after him this morning. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.